get us involved with offering memorandum when you're serious about making an offer. There's just a lot of stuff that we've seen in offering memorandums that can signal red flags of a potential loss in the past that you can't tell or the insurance is way underpriced. Welcome to the Apartment Investing Journey, where we explore every facet of multifamily investing and development with top investors, brokers, and service providers who share their strategies, successes, and secrets to help you on your apartment investing journey. Hey guys, David Robinson here. Welcome to the Apartment Investing Journey. Got a great guest for you today. This is an individual that has some expertise in an adjacent business as it relates to multifamily in the insurance space. And I wanted to get him on the show to talk to us a little bit about the process of obtaining insurance for multifamily acquisitions, ranging from small commercial multifamily all the way to you know, 400, 500 unit apartment buildings. And so I'm excited to have Stuart Mora on the show with us today. Stuart, how you doing? I'm doing great, David. Thanks for reaching out. Glad to be here and hopefully provide some some education on the fun world of insurance. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. A little bit about Stuart. He is a leading expert in the multifamily insurance in Southeast and uh, is a partner at Turner Wood and Smith Insurance. Stuart developed a niche for multifamily properties in 2016 and has insured a sizable schedule of apartments that span from Florida all the way to Wyoming. And at Turner Wood and Smith, he strives to meet the needs of each individual owner with a transparent and educational insurance process. So we're going to test you on that today, if you can help us with the educational part of the insurance <laughs> sure. process. So Stuart, you know, very brief bio. I always like to hear about an individual's journey, whether they're an investor or a vendor or a service provider in the space. And so if you can, maybe just back up and talk to us about how you got involved with multifamily real estate insurance. Yeah. So I actually got in the insurance world, I'd say in 2010, kind of by accident. I had a friend that had a small agency and I was like, why don't you come sell insurance? And I mean, honestly, I hated insurance, but it was one of those things where you didn't have to be there nine to five. Nobody really asked you, what are you doing today? As long as you found business. So that was a very good way to get into the business and kind of muddled along for a few years writing local stuff. Had a good friend who runs a property management company in Atlanta, and he started sending referrals to me really in 2014, 15. And then I was like, man, this is this is pretty good business. I like dealing with these people. And from there, the referrals just have grown. We've gotten in with some buying groups. And it's really just been very organic. It's not something that I just set out and said, you know, hey, I want to write multifamily insurance. It just kind of fell into it. And obviously just referrals have have grown that. And now 90% of the business that I write is pretty much just apartment complexes. Hmm. So it's been good. We still write some local stuff. We're not a not a huge town, so you gotta write friends and family, but so that's no real planning. It just kind of happened and, and it's been good. Well, that's great. So are you still with the same company that you started with in 2010? No. So I moved to Turner Wood Smith in 2012. Just it was a, a little opportunity. We got a lot of young owners. There's some ownership opportunities, just a, more resources. 
And so I've been here since 2012. Okay, man. So you've had a long stint there. And originally you mentioned, you know, writing some local stuff, but when did the focus start to shift to multifamily? And it sounds like it was more organic, which is a testament to your service and, uh, you know, building the business that way. But what caused you to shift or to focus on multifamily? Just a natural byproduct of who the referrals were coming from? Well, the referrals were coming from, like I said, a good friend that I grew up with in Atlanta. I'm not really sure when it really I focused on it per se. Like I said, 2016, if I go back and look at the business we wrote, 2016, it really started kind of turning along. And then in 2018, I mean, at probably coincides with a lot of the apartment market, but 2018 to 2019, it just seemed to absolutely blow up and people were coming from, from everywhere. And mm. it was one of those like, man, there's a lot of business. There's a lot of upfront work with, with getting the apartments on the books, but once they're on the books, you're not sending uh, certificates for to contractors every day. It's a lot mm-hmm. of work up front, get it on the books and then, you know, you don't, they don't want to hear from me. And I don't, they don't, if, if they call me after in the beginning uh, or halfway through the policy, there's a problem, there's a fire, there's a, a loss. They don't want to talk to me. So, right. You know, unless it's finding another deal. So that's kind of how we got into it. And like I said, just, just referrals. But since 2018, 2019, it has just been blowing and going. And it doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. Well, good for you. That's great to hear. So I think where we can add the most value to our listeners today is really just sort of uh, take the approach that we're talking to a new commercial multifamily apartment investor. Someone that's uh, their first foray into the commercial, maybe unless let's even start with a smaller commercial multifamily acquisition. If you can, maybe just uh, from your perspective, how does that process work and what should that new investor understand about getting insurance on their new acquisition? So typically how what we tell anybody that we work with is is they'll say, hey, when do I need to contact you? And you know, it can be from, like I was telling you a little before, we, we write stuff from 15 to 20 units to four to 500 units. So if we're focusing on somebody that's looking at a, a 20 unit complex or even just one building that has, has it, you know, I always tell them, look, when you're serious about making an offer, send us a copy of the offering memorandum if there is one. If not, maybe a rent roll or a T12 and just so that we can get an idea of, of, hey, what's the current owner paying? And does that make sense for, you know, for this area, this year built, this things like this? There's just a lot of things that we can say, hey, if it's in Atlanta and it's the offering memorandum showing you $200, $250 a door, that's not going to happen. It's mm-hmm. just it's just not in the ballpark. But you get in, in Northeast Georgia or some of these outside of the metro areas, sure, you can find some of that. But it's kind of all over the place. But the best thing to do is, like I said, send us an offering memorandum or something that shows what the current owner is paying. And we can look and say that either makes sense or there's been stuff where they're paying four times what it should. And you go back to the owner and say, hey, you may want to ask them, there's got to be a fire loss or there's got to be something that is not 
reflected here, you know, that you may not know about. So that's kind of where we start. And let's say that, uh, okay, we're at that place where we've identified a property that we feel like we have a good shot at getting. We haven't made a formal offer yet, but we're trying to finalize our underwriting and, and sharpen the pencil. We send you an OM, we send you a rent roll T12. What's the process look like on your end to vet that building? So what we'll do is, is just the carriers that we deal with, there may be a property that's very similar in age. Uh, location, uh, values, and, and we'll kind of run it through our database with different carriers and say, hey, give me a look at this address. It's very similar to this property. Is pricing going to be very similar or is there something missing? And, you know, we just have enough of a relationship that the carriers will take five or 10 minutes, research it and say, hey, that looks good. Yes, go with that. Or, hey, we've actually got our rates have gone up because of this and this. So that's typically how we get it done is just by relationships and people that that we've written a lot of business with, knowing mm-hmm. or if there's a town that we haven't written in, the the carriers have. And you say, hey, 1970s built in Wichita, Kansas, what rates have you seen lately? Mm-hmm. And, and they can they'll send us something back and they'll say, hey, here's what you want to go with. You know, you do have to disclaimer on there. This is based on clean loss runs. Mm. Some things like that. And I know that we we briefly touched off here. You know, that's something that is really getting a lot. Property is getting a lot tougher to write and insure just because of all the losses. You hear all the hurricanes and fires and and everything. So, you know, as soon as you do get it under contract, ask that broker or the current owner for their a copy of their loss runs because you okay. need that at some point. Gotcha. So as you're giving a preliminary estimate on a premium for a new property, what are the main factors that have an impact on cost of insurance? What should we be aware of or be looking for as far as the factors that might have a negative or a positive impact on the cost of insurance? So obviously the location, location, year built and construction type. I mean, nine times out of 10, it's going to be frame construction. I know it's brick on the outside, but it's wood frame on the inside. That's nine times out of 10, it's, it's frame construction. So there's not a ton there. Location, year built and go along with year built updates. If you can give us, hey, they updated the roof five years ago. They updated the plumbing, aluminum wiring. Make sure if they have aluminum wiring that you know that because it's a big deal in the insurance world. So those things, but then location. And I got sent one last week. Somebody was looking in Wilmington, North Carolina, and they wanted to know why it was the rates were so high. That's considered coastal. Anything within 10 miles of the coast is going to be coastal and you're going to be twice the price of, of something 30 miles inland. Mm. But out of those two, location and year build, I'd say, are the Big biggest factors. factors. And then the updates information. Okay. And so having a schedule from the previous owner of any 
capital improvements, major renovations, that, that type of thing is going to be important to be able to get over to you. Definitely. Like I said, the wiring, you want to know about the wiring type, if it's just make sure it's not aluminum. If it is, it's not a huge issue, but it's going to be more expensive. Roof updates. Everybody wants to know when the roof update is because they don't want to pay for a new roof. You know, if Mm -hmm. it's 20 years old, they're thinking you're going to turn in a claim in the next couple of years on the roofs. So just basic information like that. Okay. So we're the new investor. Uh, We've got this deal. We're sharpening our pencil. We send you over the OM, the rent roll T12. You run some basic numbers on it and you get us back an estimate of what cost of insurance will be for that building. Where do things go from there? So we want you to get under contract, you know, but once you get under contract, the estimates that we're sending are pretty close to firm. And then you're just going to say, Hey, give me in touch. Or I'm going to say, okay, we're, we're good on, on that. Give me in touch with a lender because that's, you know, another thing you got to think about is, is the Fannie and the Freddie, or if you're using just a small lender, you're going to have different requirements. You know, typically when we send out estimates, we're basing the replacement cost around $100 a foot. Normally, that's good enough for the lenders, but sometimes it's not. And we're going to have to go back in and say, okay, we've got to insure this for $110 or $120 a foot. But so it can it can change on the lenders, but that's the next thing to get involved is once we get, once you get under contract and we've got a an insurance estimate. Let's get in touch with the lender, make sure they've got all their I's dotted and T's crossed and go from there. And what would you say have the biggest impact? Uh, you mentioned that you know these estimates are, are fairly close to firm. Have you seen scenarios where those estimates have been significantly off and what might've caused that? Not anything that we may not know of per se. Typically, when the lender gets involved, you can end up with some higher umbrellas. You can end up with some flood coverage you may not have known about. We've got one we're working on now that I actually insured since 2019, and it's a new buyer and a new lender. And they've come in and said uh, one of the buildings is in a flood zone, which we don't check the flood zone. The lenders mm. check the flood zone and that. So you run into some stuff there where they're saying, hey, you've got to enter a building for a million dollars for flood. Well, you know, that may be five or $6,000 more that we just didn't know about. So that's typically where we run into issues. Or if something is in the loss runs that we didn't know about, you know, if there's a fire or you know, you've seen stuff lately, general liability claims with assault and battery, if there's something on there, mm. You're going to run into some issues. Interesting. So, okay. But as far as getting estimates for the property and the general liability, we're usually fairly close. And I'm always going to be a little conservative so that we don't end up telling you it's going to be 50,000 and it's going to be 100. That's the last thing you want to do. I'm going to right. tell you it's going to be 60 and thinking it's going to be 50. Whereas yeah. if you run into something with a flood or something with a higher umbrella, we're okay there. Got a little bit of a buffer there. Yeah, that's what, and I tell people that. I'm like, look, this is a little conservative, but I want us to go the other way. I want us to go down on the pricing instead of up on the pricing. Yeah. 
And then maybe shifting gears slightly, let's talk a little bit about some considerations that we should be taking into account as far as the policy itself. I'm sure you have some pretty standard policies, but is there anything that we should be looking out for and working or exploring working with different insurance companies as far as the policy is concerned? The biggest issue that we've seen, and it's more in in metro areas, I would tell you is carriers trying to sublimit assault and battery coverage. Whereas if, if there's a shooting or a stabbing or something like that, Really make sure that you you don't want that to be excluded. We've seen that or sublimited because if, if mm-hmm. something happens and say you have a million dollar general liability policy, they put a sublimit of $250,000 on assault and battery. One incident that goes really fast. I mean, you mm-hmm. can look up some and it's a problem in Georgia. You just see a lot of what they call nuclear verdicts where there's an assault battery and the, the owner gets gets sued for negligent security or something like that. That has really become a hot button issue with a lot of carriers. And I mean, we've got one we're working on now that the current owner had a very small sublimit on assault and battery, and we can't get anybody that'll price it with full assault and battery coverage. And the new owners are very nervous about it, which I, Hmm. you know, because the carriers, they're going to Google the address. They're going to Google crime scores. I mean, that's really a big issue that is kind of, I feel like in the next couple of years is really going to rear its head. And so what are going to be the options moving forward? Will you start to see carriers that maybe have a separate policy to cover that type of issue? So we've seen, we've got a broker that we work with that has come out and it came out a month ago. I haven't gotten any quotes from it, but it's just for assault and battery. So I think there are going to be some options for that. I haven't seen any pricing on it yet. Mm. So carriers are aware of it. But now you don't see this from your standard carriers like a Travelers or a Hartford. They don't have it. But when you get in some high crime areas or some older properties and you have to go to what's called the excess and surplus lines market, you're going to, you could possibly run into some of these issues. Okay. That's good to know. Is there any other issues that may be sublimited that we haven't covered? Uh, You mentioned assault and battery. Anything else that we should be aware of that that could be an issue as well? So that's on the general liability. The the property, I would say the biggest issue that we've seen here is pushing is higher wind and hail deductibles. That's the thing that it kind of started a couple of years ago, but a lot of carriers now are putting, say, a 1% deductible for wind and hail. If they do that, make sure it's per building and it's not for the entire schedule. You know, you have a, a $5 million complex, you know, 1%, that's $50,000. That's a large deductible. But if you get it broken out per building and, and say you have some $750,000 buildings, okay, that's not. It's seven, uh, you know, seventy five hundred dollars, but at least it's only per bill. Hmm. That's really, I would say, one of the bigger things that people, you know, haven't quite grasped yet. But the carriers don't, you know, they've got hit. We talked about roof roof replacements. You know, those are expensive and and can get, you know, without a larger deductible for them, 
it's a it's a big issue for carriers. So a lot of them have started pushing percentage when they owe deductibles. And is there any other considerations we should be taking into account for maybe add-on policies to your standard coverage? Is there anything else that we should be looking at or taking into consideration or you're seeing people add on to your standard coverage policy? Not anything that we've really mentioned or that we haven't already mentioned. I would say kind of the stuff what people run into is stuff that that lenders are requiring that can really run up some some premiums. Like I said, we've seen a lot of people, a lot of lenders now Used to be a $2 million umbrella. Now we're up to five. I've seen, I've seen, we had one last month that was 10, hmm. $10 million umbrellas, which are expensive and it can really add on. So it somewhat at a lot of the, we get the basics on there pretty easily. But then once you get in w- with the lender, they may require something that we just aren't, we didn't know about or, mm-hmm. you know, some ordinance and law, they're pushing that now. I mean, so. It can really depend on what the lender requires on kind of what you got to tack on to to get it across the finish line. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. Well, Stuart, this has been good to just get a broad overview of the process. Is there anything else that our listeners should be aware of as it relates to working with you and your team in ensuring their next acquisition that we haven't covered so far? No, we mentioned a little earlier, you know, get us involved with offering a random when you're serious about making an offer. There's just a lot of stuff in, that we've seen in offering memorandums that, that can signal red flags of a potential loss in the past that you can't tell or the insurance is way underpriced and you're not real sure if they're part of a master policy. You don't know if they have higher deductibles. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff where you can just say, okay, it's like we mentioned, you know, $250 a door in Atlanta. It's just not going to happen. So just some things that, I mean, the thing is on the offering memorandum, if, if they insurance numbers that far off, you know, what else is, is off too. So it's kind of building trust with the whole process, I would say. Yeah, great. Well, Stuart, I appreciate you giving us an overview and diving into this a little bit with us. The last couple of questions I have for you is, what would you say is the biggest mistake you see investors making as it relates to insurance on their acquisitions? Well, that's a tough question. I don't try to give them a whole lot of advice on what they're doing. I give them my thoughts on the insurance side of it. Like you said, me personally, if I couldn't get assault and battery coverage, full assault and battery coverage, I would not personally invest in that. Somebody said a couple of years ago, I don't want to buy an war zone. I mean, that would be my number one advice to investors is that coverage, just because I've seen the other side of it. When you can't get it and there's shootings every day, you know, you don't, I don't know that you want to own one of those properties. Gotcha. Okay, great. Well, Stuart, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on, sharing some insight with us about the process and uh, giving us some guidance on some of the things that we should be aware of as it relates to getting coverage on our buildings. What's the best way for our listeners to connect with you, learn a little bit more about your business and and potentially get a quote on a future building they're looking to acquire? The best way is just to email me and it's just my name, stuart.more at twsinsurance.com. That's the easiest way. And then uh, we can go from there. Okay. Awesome. 
Well, we'll have that info in the show notes. Uh, feel free to reach out to Stuart and his team there. And uh, again, Stuart, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Great. Thanks for having me, David. I enjoyed it. Hey, before you go, if you're looking to invest in multifamily, whether that's a duplex or a 200-unit apartment building, every investor needs three things. First, you need to find a deal. Second, you need a tool to analyze and underwrite that deal. And three, you need to perform due diligence on the deal. So if you go to apartmentinvestingjourney.com right now, you can download our free investor toolkit. You'll get everything you need. You'll get our cheat sheet for the top five ways to find off-market and undervalued deals. You'll get a free deal analyzer with both a desktop version and a mobile version so that you can analyze deals on the go. And you'll get our multifamily due diligence checklist. All that for free. Just click on the link in our show notes or go to apartmentinvestingjourney.com right now and download your free toolkit. Also, please, 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 if you like our show, or even if you don't like our show, please rate our show and leave us a quick review. That really helps us to be found by other listeners so that we can continue to provide value. And lastly, I'd love to connect with you personally. So feel free to reach out to me at apartmentinvestingjourney.com forward slash David. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. 